Welcome and thank you for uh, joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, myself, and our distinguished guests your questions live using hashtag Disrupt TV. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host. He's the founder and CEO of the Silicon Valley-based research firm, Constellation Research. He is a regular contributor to Harvard Business Review, ZDNet, and many publications. He's the best-selling author of Disrupting Digital Business. <laughs> i got to make sure you can see it. <laughs> a, a book that uh, is, uh, is a must-read for all trailblazers looking to transform their business. And in my humble opinion, one of the top features to follow on Twitter, at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray Wong, to Disrupt TV. Hey, thanks a lot, Vala. We're here with Vala Ashar, if you guys know, Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce, but more importantly, one of the top followers on for, on Twitter for CIOs and CMOs and CEOs, also on broadcast TV and also an author himself. But it's really not about us. Episode 184, this is about awesome guests, what they have to share, their insights, uh, and of course, what's happening uh, in the middle of all this fun stuff outside. So let's introduce our first guest. Who do we have, Vala? It's a privilege for us to start the show with Ian Goss, founder and CEO of Element, Elements.Cloud. As CEO of Elements, uh, Ian is passionate about providing tools to help customers reduce risk and improve adoption of Salesforce implementations. <laughs> Ian has been a customer of Salesforce for 18 years. Now, I take pride because we went live in 2003 in my company, but Ian beat us to it. <laughs> He's a regular speaker at Dreamforce World Tour and all of the key events we have as a, pro pro a prominent thought leader and innovator. Before he was a co-founder and CEO of Elements, he was CEO of Nimbus Partners, a VPM software company for 15 years. That was also, and he was also a Salesforce reference customer. Ian started his career uh, and he was spent 12 years as an Accenture partner and he ran high-risk technology transformation programs with hundreds of thousands of stakeholders. These are major programs. He's the author of, Ray, listen to this. He's the author of 10 books. So talk about imposter syndrome when I have a guest on the show that's written 10 books. <laughs> He's a prolific blogger, and he has the ability to simplify complex ideas and thoughts and, and programs. Um, you can follow him on Twitter. He's a great follow on Twitter at I-A-N-G-O-T-T-S. Welcome, Ian, to Disrupt TV. All right. Thank you. Hey, thanks, thanks for Ian, for being on the show. Shout outs to Ed Schlesinger for the intro to Ian. So, Ian, yeah. you've been a CIO, a software exec, a startup founder. Tell us how those roles have come together in your new startup, Elements.Cloud. Oh, it's interesting, actually. I, until until you actually started talking through the list of all things I did, actually, it, I didn't hadn't realised how all of those different things come together. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm a I'm good at I know enterprise B two B SaaS. That that's B two C. Forget it. B two B enterprise software sales is where it comes together. And I guess it started with Accenture, where I was uh, there with customers being. Um, objective sitting back and actually looking at what the issues were and then trying to come up with solutions um, then I had a, a spell being the CIO of one of the biggest government agencies in the UK and there I really got to see the issue of politics with both the big P and a large and a large P little and big P the whole issue of how you get transformation projects pushed through getting the politics but also the other challenge and again I'd hate to be a CIO now but the challenges of governance versus agility so Everybody wants you to move at a million miles an hour, but the regulators don't want you to move at all. 
and you're stuck in the middle there with business users going, I make this change, make this change. So you, you take all those together and then as a startup um, CEO in the, in the enterprise space, it's recognizing that it's not three guys with a can of Red Bull to go and build an app. But you've got to build something credible. If you're going to actually sell into the enterprise, it's not, the MVP is way more than just M in a lot of cases because the person buying it is putting their personal credibility on the line. Yes. So actually as, a, as an enterprise C startup CEO, you've got to actually manage the cash, manage that growth strategy. And then I think someone said to me something very interesting. One mistake you make is actually hiring salespeople too early. Mm. Not when you've got product market fit. People think they've got pro product market fit. Well, they've got is product marketing fit. They think mm. they're there, but actually they're not. So product market fit is slightly different. And then the second mistake you make is not hiring the people when you genuinely are there, so you're not growing fast enough. So it's that balance, I think. So it all comes together with, I know this is my third startup element, um, but it comes back to the fact we were a Salesforce customer for 18 years. So I saw some of the issues that, say, Salesforce customers are in, uh, in terms of their implementations. Right. And I got the band back out of retirement and said, let's do it all over again. And that was four years ago. And we're, things are starting to really explode now. And, but it's, the, the, the cool bit is I'm doing it with two other founders I spent 20 years with. And we're building a team that I'm blown away every day by the talent I'm surrounded by. That's really you know, nice you, to be able to get everyone back together again. Sorry, Vali, but go ahead. Yeah. No, no, no. You, you know, you, you had a very empathetic statement about, boy, it would, it's tough to be, be a CIO now. Maybe one of the biggest lessons of 2020 is every company needs to be digital. You have to be thinking about, you have to reinvent, you have to, and it's a matter of survival now. So, so you know, you're advising big companies, small companies, all complex projects. Tell me what the last 30 days has been like. What, what are these CIOs? I, 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 I often think if I, if, if, if I was a CIO or a technologist and I knew what was happening now, September of 2019, what would I have done to help my company be positioned to, to not only survive in this you know, unprecedented time, but also position myself to be able to really add value to my stakeholders when we get to this new norm? What, what, how has the conversation changed uh, with, with, in terms of how you're advising your clients? Well, we're a software vendor rather than a consulting firm, but <clears throat> so I can certainly give a perspective because we're obviously trying to put our, ourselves in the position of those CIOs to make sure that we're not trying to sell them stuff. We're trying to help them understand how they can use what we do to do a better right. job. Right. But to answer your question, I think you, you almost, it's, it almost polarizes into tactical and strategic. So there's some initial tactical, okay, what does this mean in terms of if we've got everyone working from home? So we, we, we made the decision three weeks ago that was like we had an all-hands meeting, everyone's working from home. What does that mean in terms of our infrastructure? Right. Okay, so the first thing was how do we consolidate all the collaboration tools? It's almost like in the morning, I check Skype messages, I check text messages, I yeah, check yeah, Skype. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Where's that but convergence I, we talked about? What happened to that? Yeah, so, so, so one lesson is a war, wartime CEO needs to focus, and that means you need to, there's a forcing function of consolidation versus an omni-channel way of communicating and collaborating. Absolutely. Then the second one is then setting some norms around communication, which is what is now acceptable. We're all sitting in our homes here. Yeah. So 
uh, and then making sure those channels, internal channels of communication are open, but then saying, okay, what, what do we need to provide for our, our clients to uh, communications to make sure it's easy for them to communicate? Because one of the interesting things now is it's a lot easier to talk to customers because they're all trapped at home. They're not sitting in airports. Right, right. So but, now, you have to, but you have to be mindful of your tone, right? Because yeah. you know, right now you're listening and caring and adding value, right? It's hard. You know, it's it's the conversation isn't necessarily about you know product and traditional marketing, right? Absolutely, it's about again empathetic, it's thought leadership. And the other thing is a new norm: cameras are on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, we actually tried to say it's okay if you don't want the camera on if something's happening because yeah. sometimes it's it's important to do that, right? You know, but, but it, it is weird. Like I'm, we're used to be on the camera, right? You know, yeah. we can we can do that, but like it's it can be hard for some folks, right? So I think you have to be sensitive to that as well. So, but hey, what's changing as well? I mean, the stuff that you're doing, I mean, has the application lifecycle market has it changed? Is it different today? Like what's going on, right? Okay, so I don't so I don't think anything has changed over the next for now for the next three months. That's back to the strategic conversation, which is yep. still need to be agile. The move to digital still needs to happen just because we have to force, there's a forcing function at the moment, but every company is going to be digital. So therefore we need to make sure that the IT systems we've got are agile enough to keep up with the way the business changes. Okay, sure. okay. The, so the only competitive advantage now is customer success, uh, customer experience and agility. Okay. There's no there's no arbitrage in terms of pricing. You can find out what my product costs. Yep. But yep. The, the war for talent's a lot easier now because you could work from anywhere. And I think that's another thing we'll see is that people are not saying, well, we're in Denver, will you move? The answer is, well, why do you need me to move? So now suddenly I've got a, a talent pool and I, I'm now getting good at accessing that. So it's really about customer success and agility. And the CIO's got to balance agility with, with trust. And I think... The big issue now with platforms is that it's almost the citizen developer. They're highly, highly configurable. Everybody can do it. Salesforce has done an amazing job of building a platform and then the trailhead training to, to make it it's an opportunity for everybody. But the issue is also that there are a lot of people coming into these platforms, and it's not just Salesforce, it's ServiceNow, it's Google, it's Workday. And they're coming from a, a, a fr not from a systems development background necessarily. They could come from any walk of life, and therefore putting some guardrails around them to make sure that they understand strong business analysis, uh, impact analysis before you make changes, document what you've built, a proper managed release cycle, and then in, in uh, putting the training in place. That life cycle for many people doesn't exist, and it's like, oh, I made the changes in production. I broke a bit, but I'm sure we'll fix it. That was acceptable when it was 10 users. Not acceptable now. <laughs> no, absolutely. So I think that those disciplines are not necessarily coronavirus associated with it, but they are actually about how the move to digital and these really flexible platforms is actually adding a, another level of not complexity, but it's requiring another set of tooling, another set of training that needs to be layered on top of these platforms. And clearly that's what Elements is doing. Um, but... We're filling a gap that's that's needed. We're not creating a space. That space is there, um, and it, our revenue is growing so quickly. It proves that people need this stuff, which is fantastic. Sure, sure. So, Ian, if we if we if we argue that the last ten years it was about mobile first, and the next ten years maybe mobile only, video only, are you seeing? Uh, is it? What are your thoughts about a cloud first strategy for CIOs? 
especially given the, you know, the situation we are in. What are your thoughts in terms of cloud application adoption? Uh, you know, and you, I, I guess you hinted at it in terms of the growth numbers that Elements is experiencing. Can you give us a, your, your thoughts about pure cloud hybrid models and, and multi-cloud growth trajectories as a result of this year? So I think if you're a small company, and again, the last company I ran, we managed to say, if it's not in Salesforce, it doesn't exist. So, and if you're a small company, you can mandate a, a platform. If you're any size of enterprise, then it's, it's multi-cloud. It's multi so you, as a CIO, as business users, you're, you're trying to manage multiple, multiple clouds. And I think the, the MuleSoft and the Tableau uh, um, acquisitions by Salesforce are very smart because it's actually it's the glue at the top on the bottom of the, of the software stack. But for a CIO, it's then things like, how do I deal with the big issues of identity management, not logging yes. in and out? Sure. Uh, the second one is uh, master data management. So where does that data live? Particularly mm -hmm. when you think about GDPR um, oh, yeah. and all the other, the, the other regulations that are going to flow through that. The, the next one is data management, which is where's my data. And then the last one, which we're addressing, is, is metadata management. How have I configured it? And if you put it in those buckets, they are, the, I think, the four challenges that need to be addressed at a CIO level. And, and they're, not, they're not easy to fix. And again, the more clouds we have, the, right. the harder it gets. The trick is consolidating. Every time you find an app, you don't, how do I put it into one of my existing platforms? So you, as a CIO, pick a platform. This is the master for this area. Right. I, I had this thing called Pasta a while ago, which was the, the model, which was, uh, P-A-S-T-A, so PASTA was Pasta, P, yeah. P, now what, what, what's P stood for? One was, um, one was sort of priorities, okay, what are we trying to do? The right. second one was amnesty, okay? Tell me all the apps you're using, all those cloud apps, and I won't kill you, just tell me what they are, okay? <laughs> S is support. This was 10 years ago when you came up with this. I remember reading yeah, the blog, yeah. right? Technology evaluation, right? I think yeah, it was the yeah, yeah. S was support. So you, even if you're using this weird app, I know we've got Salesforce and I know you want to use this other thing, but I'll support you. And then T is then the technology uh, um, acquisition. How do we start to migrate people across? And the last one is, what was A? You've got the blog in front of you. Um, what was A? I don't, I don't remember. I don't remember. Adoption. Adoption. Yeah. Yeah. It, you had what? Adoption, yeah. yeah. As policy, amnesty, support, technology evaluation, and adoption, your 2010 blog. Yes. Yeah, that's amazing. It was. That's September amazing. 24th, 2010. <laughs> that's amazing. Oh, Let me get pressure. Ian, you're working on your 11th book. Again, uh, come on, Ray. You and I need to step <laughs> up our game. Uh, we got to step up our game. Yeah. So tilt marketing. What's that all about? Um, I love looking at things from a different perspective. I, I mean, the idea, you know, someone will, you go to a conference and the, and the person is from the press and they've got a badge called press. So I'll walk up and go, and they're like, what are you doing? Well, it says press. So <laughs> this idea of looking at things from a quirky perspective. So we created um, something called All Confessions. So it's an anonymous yeah. website where people can post their implementation horror stories. Yeah. It starts, people kept telling me, I went, it's therapeutic. People can get on that. This was, a, this was an implementation horror story. But on the back of that, we then went, let's look at the root cause analysis of that. And we started to draw out some really interesting insights. So I like this tilt marketing is thinking about things in quirky ways to get the message across. I mean, uh, you, you, just producing another marketing campaign, another webinar, doesn't, isn't engaging end users. 
Sure. So, I mean, tilt marking is, in a certain way, is thought leadership. You, so let's pick another example. Okay, how will digital transformation fix or change the humble parking meter? And you go, what, really? Okay, but you look at the parking meter. If you made that parking meter digital, so it can now work out which car is parked in the space, and you can automatically then find the people from parking, suddenly we don't need parking wardens. But hey, but if I built an app, you could then book a parking space. Right. Or I could put different differential pricing. So then I could start to change the way that people park because of, or if certain car manufacturers would say, you can park at these spaces. Right. Then the local government, the local council said, I can't afford to do that. The answer is, that's fine. I've got a private equity firm. I'll buy all your parking meters and I'll run it as a service. <laughs> and now I control how all the traffic patterns work in your town. And that's just one parking yeah, digital. If I could book a premier spot uh, and pay incremental and, and, and reserve it in advance, you're looking at a customer, absolutely. That, but that's, that's or raffle off, or raffle off one for fun. Right. Raffle up a whole street like a cause. Think about right. that. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. And then when you leave, you know, you notify you know the community that the spot's open. Uh, yeah, no, it's it, you it, it, it's smart. It's smart. Really it's creating smart. a traffic really. jam on demand. <laughs> marketing is taking simple stuff and looking at it from a different perspective and going okay so let's think about the quirky side of this and many of the ideas don't work but some do but it's it's coming to uh, my wife keeps on saying you come up with these ideas you've got to write down not, not the ideas but the principles behind how you came up with the idea so other people can apply it which is what the principle of the book is about that's terrific that's terrific my final question oh go ahead Ray. go Oh no no go ahead go ahead we we got time no, go ahead. you know we have a, we have a we have a we have a company CEO uh, and you know obviously working from home and connecting to your stakeholders in whole new ways uh, give us some advice how, how are you able to set the positive tone and uh, you know give people permission to cope and be productive and contribute give us some advice to other CEOs that are watching what are some things you've done in the last couple of weeks or last few months that's helped your company uh, do the best it can to adjust to these new times? Uh, so first of all, I think we called it early. About three weeks ago, we made the decision we'll be working from home. And we were very, it wasn't like well, we might be, we we're actually certain, right? We're all working from home. Let's assume, it's, let's assume it's for three months. Are you all set up? Have you got enough bandwidth? So we actually got some, some of the basics set up really early. So I think Perfect. the CEO, people want to be clear you have a plan. Mm and have the confidence that you can execute on it. Obviously, my, my role as CEO is to make sure we have the funding in place so, they, so you can allay those natural concerns, which is, okay, people aren't effective if they're spending their whole time worried about job security, right. what are we doing? So right. I think it's, we got together relatively quickly as a management team and said, okay, what does the new world look like, taking the worst case? What's the plan look like? Have we got our funding? Yes. Okay, what do we want people to do? Are roles changing? No and then set some guidelines back to the beginning of the conversation, which was about let's, let's sit, get, make the collaboration platform simple. Let's then, and then some other things which were more around people, which is let's get some routines in place. Okay. It's very easy for the day never to stop. So, <laughs> social things. So when, when did the day finish? So start to get into some routines. We also increased the amount of communication. So each of the teams have a stand up call every day, only 15 minutes, talk about social stuff, but we start every call with what's the best thing that happened since the last call? 
Oh, that's awesome. Repeat that again. That's awesome. Every call starts with going around the room. What's the best thing that happened to you since the last call yesterday? Wow. Very cool. Because we're surrounded by which we don't know. We need to. And it's not la la happy land in terms of everything's going to be okay. Life is difficult. I get that. But actually, there are some positives there. And I think employees are looking for not just CEO, but their managers to be clear and confident in what they're trying to do and have a plan and show that they're executing on it. Terrific. Anything more than that is, uh, I don't have a magic wand. I don't have a a crystal ball. We're here with deep but, but you do have a sign. You have a sign. Have a sign. Yeah. See in the sign. <laughs> We're here with deep thinker Ian Gotts, founder and CEO at Elements.cloud. You can follow him on Twitter at I-A-N-G-O-T-T-S. Thanks a lot for being on the show, and uh, we've got to get you back on again sometime. Okay. Thank, thank you. Bye. Thank you very much, sir. That's a tr- that's terrific. Woo-hoo. It's amazing seeing you know, a CEO set the tone and talking about positivity and and I got to tell you, another lesson in 2020 is if you want to have a successful company, you better have strong human resources. You better have strong chief human resource officers and you know folks that recognize that your talent is your most important asset. And with that said, we, it's our privilege to have Gretchen Alcorn, uh, Group Vice President Product Strategy at Oracle. Gretchen is a Group Vice President for Oracle's Human Capital Management, HCM Cloud Software where she's responsible for product management, development, go-to-market initiatives that help businesses around the world modernize their HR practice through adoptions of Oracle's HCM cloud applications. Gretchen is a thought leader, regularly highlighting trends and strategic initiatives in business transitions to the cloud. With over 20 years experience, so Gretchen started when she was like five. uh, (laughs) With over 20 years experience in product strategy, Gretchen has taken her knowledge of industries to showcase importance of modernizing in core HR, talent acquisition, HR data analytics through the integration of cloud application. We just heard the importance of, uh, you know, multi-cloud infrastructure. Great follow on Twitter. Please follow Gretchen on Twitter at G-R-E-T-C-H-E-N-A. Welcome, Gretchen, to Disrupt TV. Thank you. Thanks for having me today. Great to have you. Hey. You know, we've known each other for a very long time. We sent a lot of customers to you guys. Uh, you know, you're one of the top HR tech leaders in this market. We just want to, I just want to jump in, talk a little bit about your career journey, you know, <laughs> into HR and the software. And, and you've been at the same place for a long time, which is very impressive, uh, you know, given how volatile the HR industry is, how many awesome startups are out there. And uh, you're still, you know, still with Oracle. So talk a little bit about that. And I'll let people like, understand, uh, you know, a little bit about your background. Who am I and how'd you get here? <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, it's been, it's, it's been kind of an interesting time to be reflecting on that because I started my career in the recession of the early 90s. I actually started in HR. I was the last person hired at National Semiconductor before they put a hiring freeze in place because they were going to redesign human resources. So they threw me on the team and kind of figured I didn't know anything about HR. So I'd probably ask all the questions that nobody else was willing to ask. Um, so, yeah, so I worked in HR for... 10-ish years. And during the dot-com crisis, I actually transformed. I was at a startup, speaking of the changes that happened in HR, a startup in the recruiting space, uh, running HR. And then after we sold the company, I decided I'd really rather be on the product strategy side. I'd gotten really excited when we were building these products for HR. So moved to PeopleSoft and then Oracle. And at Oracle, they just keep giving me cool, fun, innovative (laughs) things to do. So every time I start to get bored, someone's like, hey, go do this. 
And I just kind of keep going, yeah. So I've been behind the, the strategy for what became our HCM cloud. Um, we've driven that now to you know 3,000 customers live. And now we're kind of thinking like, what's the next gen in terms of experience for employees? So it's an interesting time to be here. And now to suddenly think about what this pivot is gonna mean for HR people, because we're about to face a very different world in HR than we have in the last 10 to 12 years. That's amazing. So you're saying we're gone from like massive hiring, not enough talent to what do we do now? Is that, well, is that kind of a shift? Or is it gonna be, we're working from different environments, people are gonna be very unique in their careers? Both. So I think what we're gonna see is a lot of people if you think about the last 10 to 12 years, right, we've mostly been on an expansion. So HR hasn't had to spend as much time thinking about scarcity of resource to spend and how do I make sure I'm optimizing the hires? It's been kind of like, you know, the money's there so I can hire two or three people and keep that pipeline. And now suddenly I don't have that. I actually have to right size my organization, which maybe I haven't had to think about as much. And in many cases, when you're looking at this, you're not thinking about right sizing, meaning I'm removing poor performers. It's what do I actually need to be successful in the next year? And there are some fantastic performers who are just not gonna fit that new model. So it's a much harder workforce planning and, and optimization process. It's not just lay off the bottom 10% who are not performing. So mm -hmm. that's gonna be a big shift. And then when you are hiring, we're gonna see the opposite side. In fact, we see a lot of people really put focus on talent acquisition processes when the economy gets to this stage because you don't have very many positions you can hire and there are some really great people out there. So you wanna use these you know, small you know, one or two hires to really make a big impact on your department. So suddenly how you screen, how you assess, where are they located becomes a really different problem than it was yeah. six months ago. Right, 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 absolutely. Uh, Ray and I had the privilege of speaking with uh, late, great uh, Professor Clay Christensen um, um, yeah. after a keynote that he delivered. And, you know, he reminded both Ray and I, jobs to be done, you know, focusing right. and, and, you know, the great Wayne Gretzky's, you know, where the puck is going. Uh, and I think, you know, business leaders led by, you know, incredible work of HR, understanding what the new norm may look like, and then determining whether there's the right talent mix for what will be potentially in some industries dramatically different. You know, we have, you know, we work for, you know, cloud companies as a privilege for us to be able to work from home. I think one lesson in 2020 for, for the few privilege is that work is in a place. You know, you, you can get your job done uh, with the right tools and like, right culture and talent at home. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience <laughs> and we just had a startup CEO who said three weeks ago they shut down their offices. Uh, and, and uh, you know, we did that, 50,000 employees. We shut down a month ago. Uh, but we, 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 you have to be mindful that that's not easy. <laughs> you know, if, you, if you're sharing a, a small space with roommates and you don't have broadband, 10% of Americans don't have Wi-Fi access, which is Unbelievable right. to me, you know. So, 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 you know, it is a privilege to work from home. But what are some of the lessons learned in this short period of time that you can share with us? Yeah, well, you know, I've been fortunate that my whole team is globally distributed. So we've pretty much awesome. worked remotely in some form. You know, kind of more down the focus of do you want to go to an office? Do you feel more productive in an office? So that's been kind of a choice for my team for quite some time. Uh, but yeah, the, the big shift now is the people who do feel more comfortable in an office are suddenly with very little notice 
not in the office. And I think that's the biggest thing is it wasn't a, I chose to make this change, it's I had to. So we're having a lot of conversations around, you know, how much investment do you want people to make in a home office? Like, is this going to be the new place people work from? Or is this, you know, literally they're cobbling it together to make it through a month, six weeks, and then they're gonna go back to working in an office. So how much expense do we wanna put behind that? What does that look like? But I also think there are some really interesting questions there around for people who have never worked from home, when does work start and start? How do I keep productive? Um, you know, somebody, I, I think Ian mentioned the idea that we're all on video now, right? I mean, we've had the ability to be on video for forever, but I will tell you in the last month, I've just switched over. I'm like, if we are home, if, we're, if I'm working, I'm gonna have my video on because that's the reality. Um, so I'm trying to have fun with it within my team, you know, kind of doing the, hey, what's your creative background today? And, you know, I've seen some groups doing, it's formal Friday, make sure you've got your, you know, your nice hair done and everything else because it's a nice, let's pretend that we're in the office and use those work clothes. Um, <laughs> I always shape with the Shrub TV. So. <laughs> but I do think there's also an element, if you're in an organization that is not used to working from home, this is a big shift for managers that HR needs to help them through because for people who are used to managing by walking around, they don't have that same ability. So what are those tools that they have available to them? Is it check-ins? Is it, I want to go to actually documenting expectations a little bit more? How do we coach so that people understand, you know, you are working at home, but we're still open for business. And I need to be able to know that you're making those metrics. Again, if you're not used to managing in that environment, that's a big shift for managers to go through that I think we need to provide some better tools for how to help them, you know, getting on a phone call is fine, but managing the deliverables and keeping that in focus when you're used to, you know, popping over every 10 seconds, you know, that's a big shift to make. No, these are huge shifts and especially some of the big things that are happening in HR to, to all, all the different clients. Did you see some big changes as well in terms of, you know, how that workplace and shelter shelter from home? I mean, is that a permanent change or do you think this is temporary or what, what do you think is going to last after we get through this? I'm hoping that we're going to see more of an emphasis on work is done wherever you need to be, right? And I think that we're likely to see people kind of having a question around when I return to the workplace, what's my expectation? So, you know, one of the things we've been talking about is as we remove whatever the shelter in place looks like for various places, you know, how do you feel comfortable going back to work and to a work environment? Good because point. yeah, that's a great point. You've been working from home and very controlling of your situation. Now you're going back to an office and on one hand, that feels great. It's I've got my community around me, I'm feeling great but I've also gotten very used to people being six feet away from me. And now we're sitting next to each other in a conference room. And how do I feel about that? Um, so one of the things that we've been focused on uh, from an Oracle standpoint, is we've actually made our, our workforce health and safety product available free to our HR customers while we're going through this crisis. Initially, we were thinking more about reporting exposure or needing to self-isolate and managing absences. But I'm actually thinking right now, people may see this more as managing the safety of the workplace as they're getting back around, you know, has the conference yeah. room been Do we have appropriate hand sanitizer? You know, things that may, people may need a better way to feel comfortable working in a closer environment as we move back. I don't know. I think there's going to be some, some overlap emotion there that we're going to have to help people through because, you know, as humans, we want to be together. We want to communicate and, and collaborate and be all in one all together. 
but I think there's gonna be some hesitancy if people kind of go back to this around, yeah. is this okay? Am, am I allowed to be this close? How am I gonna manage that? So I think that's gonna be a so new- it's more than business measure. continuity. It's, it's more than business continuity. It's also workforce safety, right? Yeah. That's like a whole new category we haven't even thought about. So right. yeah. it's funny. Well, I'm going to drop in Holger Mueller in, and we'll introduce him later. He's going to jump in. He's got some questions I'm sure he's going to want to ask as well. He's in his awesome background there. So, uh, But you guys know each other, and everyone knows Holger is part of the team. So, But we'll keep on with some of the questions. Holger, anything you want to jump in with? Yeah, what happened to my background? I prepped for this, and now, as you see, I'm not in San Diego at the waterfront. But OK, that's fine. It's authentic, right? You don't see the mess behind. But here's the question, right? Because we have to turn this around for Ray and Vala. Which language group uh -oh. does Gretchen's name come from? Is it Romanic, <laughs> Slavic, or German? Uh, uh, German. Very good. Okay. Very so good. I'm not going to talk about Davos, right? We've been through this, right? So so how do you do your best? Because Gretchen has been trained, and I said it now, I gave it away. Your best pronunciation of Miss Alakon, first name, please. Vala and Ray. <laughs> man. I'm, oh, man. We're I'm going to defer to Ray. <laughs> I have a tough time with mastering the English language, so you know, for me to <laughs> come on, you got to play Vala. Come on, try it. Try to pronounce uh, uh, that first uh, name German. Isn't it? Isn't it? It's it's Gretchen, isn't it? That's the English version. That's what most people do. Yeah. yeah. Vala, do better. Grahal. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Okay. Here it is. I had a room of five thousand Oracle salespeople do this, right? They all trained. It's Gretchen. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Because wow. now if you pronounce Gretchen, it's a little tiny fishbone, right? And when Gretchen, I'm sure, has been called all kinds of things, but certainly not that, right? So the, here's the public service announcement. Anybody who's listening to this now, pronounce Gretchen Alakon correctly. Here we go. Now we know. That's, yeah. uh, that, uh, oh, that's awesome. Our good friends call her Miss G. But, no, I'm uh, but, but I just want to go back to the last comment, which reminds me that there's got to be certain amount of not pressure but responsibility on HR to develop scenario planning in terms of going back to work. It's not a light switch where you're going to get an email from your CHR that says, Monday, everyone's back. <laughs> you know? So depending on scenario planning in terms of risk assessments based on whether it's WHO or, or, or whomever, uh, it's probably Dr. Fossey himself, uh, Without going to specifics, is there a lot of scenario planning discussions in terms of, you know, a best case scenario, worst case scenario, and how we would gracefully, in a healthy, safe manner, transition back to work? So I think there are conversations happening. I think that, you know, what this is showing for a lot of organizations is, you know, what degree of a continuity plan did you have in place to begin with, right? And how much of that continuity plan was about your employees. We've all done the, you know, high level disaster planning. There's an earthquake. How do we get people safely back, you know, safely home and manage that? But we don't necessarily talk about how do people come back to work, right? right. So I think there's a there's an element there where I don't think a lot of organizations have thought through it. And frankly, right now, I would say what they're really thinking about is how are they managing their employees from a cost and a management standpoint? Am I furloughing people? Um, when we come back to work, what's my recall going to look like? Do I have unions I have to think about? That part people I think are focused on and they understand that because it's a, a thing they've had to think through and they've done those scenarios. And that I think has come first, right? Mm -hmm. How do I manage the cost of my business, making sure that I've got the right employee balance as we were saying. I think the returning actually to a workplace 
it's probably something that's gonna be handled a little bit more on an ad hoc basis as people look at what the rules are and what people are comfortable with as we kind of come out of this process. Makes sense. Well, hey, switching topics a little bit, where are we going with AI automation? You guys have been talking about adaptive <laughs> intelligence for some time and how yes. does it fit, right? Because there's a lot of talk about business continuity, autonomous, autonomous, autonomous organizations and enterprises. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think the, the fundamentals don't change, right? So it's one of the things we've been talking about is as we're going through all of this, I think we're going to see more people thinking about what does that employee experience look like now that I'm remote working? You know, it's not that I'm not working. It's just where am I, where am I working? So how do I get a hold of people? How do I find the information that I need? That experience is going to be really important. Service delivery pops right yeah, back up to the top. Delivery. Um, and then I think AI as the automated process, I think, you know, one of the things you guys were saying earlier around, this is going to force some digital transformation onto organizations. I think we're going to see some more reliance on AI and saying, I don't have time to dig through the 500 resumes that are applying to my one position. I need AI to help me find who are the best fit candidates so that I can actually focus just on those five that I really have a better shot at hiring. So I think we're going to see AI in very targeted areas of HR. I think we'll probably see a lot of it in learning because we're going to see people saying I have to expand my roles or build more capability. I think that's going to be a challenge as well. Great. One quick question for you, as you've been product development for, for longer than I want to say here, right? So what I'm always <laughs> interested in asking people to put them on the spot, what has been the functionality which has been the biggest from zero to hero where you said, I'm just going to build this fine, but I don't have high expectations. And then like everybody <laughs> wanted it, right? Everybody needs it, right? And you say, wow, I didn't think about this. So to throw you off a little bit and think about it, what's the, the biggest zero to hero functionality you've ever built? So I wouldn't say it's necessarily the biggest surprise, but I will say the one that came out of nowhere and now has really hit fast was chatbots or digital assistants. You know, two years ago, when that was starting to hit the CRM and the, the shopping sites, it definitely was something we were seeing. And we said, this is going to apply to HR. We didn't quite know how. Um, and seeing that go from an interesting idea to really a lot of customers moving quickly to adopt and saying, this is how I'm going to drive fast responses to my employees. I've had a couple examples with customers already saying, you know, the digital assistant is going to be tuning over time as they're seeing questions coming in. So questions coming into the HR help desk that I can push to a digital assistant so you don't have to log a case. I think that's the area that we're really seeing a lot of people move very quickly on. And I think it's going to drive a very different interaction with HR. That's a great question. Okay, we're going to put it back to Bali, get the last question, and then yeah. we'll jump back to you. You know, uh, there's certainly been strong emphasis in terms of physical safety at this at, with this pandemic, you know, given the exponential um, uh, 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 rate of uh, 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 and, and danger of, 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 the, of the virus. Uh, and, and, and more and more we're hearing about psychological safety. So I'm going to just tag on to Ray's question regarding uh, machine learning and AI powered applications, do you think there's an opportunity for algorithms to be able to help uh, leaders in organizations understand where there is potential psychological safety with their employees uh, based on their tone, their sentiment, how engaged they are, and do that at scale where, you know, these applications can help us, uh, you know, uh, uh, proactively uh, you know, manage scenarios where we, there may be a disconnect with employees, given the fact that they're maybe working remotely, or again, not not in that in the, in what you know normal work conditions. 
Yeah. You know, I think there's definitely an opportunity there around more of a sentiment analysis or, you know, kind of pulses out to employees just, you know, talking about, you know, your your mood and your mindset is changing day to day, if not hour to hour, right? Mm. Um, and so getting a better sense of really where are you on the curve and what kind of help do you need from your manager? I think to the extent that the AI can help, I think we're still a little ahead in terms of some of the profiling. Wouldn't necessarily want to go all the way to AI says, manager, call this person, have that conversation, <laughs> right? Sure, sure, sure. Um, but to the extent that it can kind of identify, you know, some risks or, you know, this person hasn't been as present online or their tones on, on various social chatters is seeming to be more negative, kind of presenting that information and saying something might need to be done. I definitely think that's worth exploring. Terrific, terrific. Oh, great stuff. Well, this is awesome. We're getting the latest insights on HR, HR tech, where the future is going. Here with Gretchen Alarcon. I still haven't pronounced the name right. Sorry, Holger. Uh, group Vice President <laughs> of Product Strategy at Oracle. You can follow her on Twitter at Gretchen A. So the one and only Gretchen A, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you very much. Well, this is this is breaking news that I want to share on Disrupt. Uh, Ray and I have invested in an uh, AI algorithm to recommend guests to us based on their performance and likability. And the algorithm said we needed to have Holger Mueller back on our show. So this was what you guys thanks, thanks for having me back. Uh, don't do the long intro. Okay, let's do first if it's safe, right? Let me take my temperature here. It is a uh, European, right? 36.6, so we are safe. You're good to go. I'm gonna do a short intro. I gotta do a short intro because okay, okay. Okay, so Holger, Vice President, Principal Analyst at Constellation Research, covering next generation apps, human capital management. He provides strategy counsel to key clients, including senior business executives, all the CXOs, investment analysts, venture capitalists, and also the sell side firms and technology buyers. Prior to joining Constellation, he had several roles. He was uh, Vice President of Products, Chief Application Architect, member of, of, of the office of the chairman at some of the biggest companies in the okay, world. I need to interrupt you here because otherwise this is the issue I stop here, right? So. Follow Holger <laughs> on Twitter. This is the most important. H-O-L-G-E-R-M-U. Welcome back, Holger, to Disrupt TV. <laughs> Thanks Welcome for having back. me, guys. Don't change the algorithm. I'm pretty happy with it right now. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay if it's biased. As long as it wants me back every week, it's okay. I don't know if the I don't know if the AI algorithm just likes your accent, your awesome sneakers, your you know Arnold Schwarzenegger good looks. But for whatever reason, the algorithm keeps saying bring Holger back. Yeah. And it's not broken. I can reassure you that. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, well, hey, you know, well, let's let's start with some of the hottest things. Like this morning, we had about forty to fifty CXOs talking about the post-pandemic playbook. You had some advice for folks. I want you to start with that. Yeah, I mean, like two advice, right? With Shotaita um, with Gretchen. Obviously, the biggest opportunity right now is there's talent out there, right? I mean, it's unfortunate Macy's and Kohl's let hundred thousand plus people go, but if you need someone in retail experience with a great track record, I mean, make them an offer, right? Get them on board. The same thing for many IT firms, right? So we're only three weeks in. We don't know how long it goes, but get the talent which is out there, and then think if you have to scale, right? I mean, Amazon hired eighty thousand people. Those interviews are hazardous, right? Are dangerous, right? So you need a video recruiting solution, something which has been derided since many years. Solutions out there since 10 plus years. Find a way how you can onshore 
grow your business when will onshore, right? That's for the HR side. And for the CIO, CTO side, it's clearly you have to find a way to tie your business performance, which is not very high right now, to your cost structure on the IT side, right? So the lesson learned to go to cloud and use the elasticity of the cloud to scale up and scale down their costs is going to premier, right? Like my example this morning was airlines, right? Airlines spent between 1% and 2% for IT, which is a minor, minor cost factor. But when you stop flying, there's no fuel cost. You might not pay even because you can't pay it for your planes and you don't pay for the people who have furloughed. All of a sudden, your 1% or 2% IT budget is 10%, 15% of your current cost. If that's not scalable and can't ramp up as your business is running, then you have a big problem with it. So I think the lesson learned there is you have to look for that. And the other one is you have to automate everything you can automate. Everything which can run in software and scale in software is not dependent on people. It's something which will be a blessing for you right now. Uh, what is the post-pandemic playbook and what was the biggest aha moment for you guys when 40 CXOs gave you feedback? Well, Ray, you, you were on the call too. I mean, I, I think I, I was surprised that there were so many HR topics coming up already. Like, how do we take care of the people? Where do we find them? Right? I'm obviously biased from that perspective, but we talked more HR percentage-wise than ever on a CIO call. I was really surprised. Ray, were you surprised? You know, I, I think what was interesting was a lot of people were thinking about what's next and how to move forward. So I thought that was important, right? For people to be able to go out and think about how they wanted to, you know, take on, uh, you know, what the post-pandemic playbook looked like, what it was, what was going to be important for them in terms of thinking about, you know, their, their strategy. It was more than just the technology for the CIOs. It was also about people. It was about business models. It was about process. It was also about mental health. Right. I mean, a lot of folks, I mean, they're worried about, you know, uh, what, you know, I mean, because if it happens again, right, there, there's a lot of trauma apparently associated with this that people are feeling and, and it's real types of trauma. So you know, once we have to go through this again. So so I, I, I thought it was a good call. We had chat in house roles, so we can't name the companies or the people that sure. were there or what was discussed. Um, and I think we kept it a safe environment. I apologize. We had to kick out a lot of friends who were on the vendor side or consultants. Um, I kicked off a 25 year old friend of mine. I really didn't mean to kick him off. I'm like, he temporarily, he usually serves as an interim CIO, but you know, he's like, oh, I'm with this consulting firm. I'm like, uh, you're done, you're off the call. Yeah, yeah, so sure, we had to kick sure. them off. So that was kind of the thing. So, so Holger, Holger, if, 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 if this was, uh, you know, September 2019 and you knew about what was about to happen, what are one or two things that you would have guided your clients to, for them to be ready, not just during, but perhaps even post-pandemic pandemic playbook? What, what would be your advice had you had you known about this uh, six months ago? Well, sell all your stock, of course, right? Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. no, 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 uh, yeah, they do that for the earthquake, which is kind of like imminent in California, but I'm pretty sure nobody's happy with their current plans. And this has not happened to that scale. And, and it's all about if you're CXO to go through scenarios and, and look at um, uh, what probability will these scenarios have to happen. And uh, when there's a Bill Gates uh, TED talk out from six, seven years ago, right, he's saying yeah. like based on the experience of SARS-1 and MERS, this is going to be the biggest risk, right? He, he came in pushing in his... Uh, 
the nuclear war uh, food uh, thing which people used to have in the US that didn't live in this country at the time to survive the fallout, right? So yeah. so really be prepared from a disaster prepared side. But then you, you have to scale up and scale down as a business, right? So my research area enterprise acceleration is going to be super, super relevant whenever this, this starts up again in like a one-time restart mode, right? We, we talked about this morning also about merger and acquisitions which might be happening between the stronger and the weaker ones, right? And you can do so many lateral things right now. So I think it will help. It will make us all stronger. Right, we, we, I do a lot of indoor spinning, so when I travel, I go to indoor spinning studios. I still have to write the blog post tracking COVID-19 with spin studios uh, around the world because you see when they close and when they do distancing. And, and so on. Hong Kong, by the way, XYZ spinning is open. If you hear this from Hong Kong, they, they still do business, right? But then think laterally, right? Because the mortal enemy of a spin studio is the online spin guys, right? The Pelotons and so on, right? So one week later, a torrent cycle in, in Salt Lake City offers a leasing on the bike. Yeah. They're giving yeah. away the bikes. Yeah, they're leasing the bikes, right? It took yeah. a San Diego spin studio three weeks after the crisis to start leasing the bikes, right? The big chains of franchise which scales well, they can't do that because you should never see a SoulCycle bike at a home, right? So this would be stolen property, right? So it's very interesting how you have to think in business model fitness and agility to move into even competitive business models very, very quickly, right? So that, that's the interesting thing. So you have to be faster, more agile as a business to go into yeah. adjacent and even competitive markets or go up and down your value chain, right? You had a great yeah. example this morning, Ray. Sorry to steal it because I love it, right? Amazon might buy Macy's, right? And not have the dinghy brick and mortar thing, but have the full sortiment in every mall, right? So, so, so significant changes can happen here. And then you, of course, have to look who is doing really well from... Where is everything going? The question is, how long is it going? And who's going to benefit from it, right? Mm. Amazon has a huge execution opportunity, but also risk, right? When people walk out or they can't hire the people, it's a very manual model. But right? if I'm Google and live from advertising, more people browsing, hey, what better thing can happen to me from, from my business model perspective, right? So, so this yeah. is going to be important. The longer this drags on, who's going to be healthier and less healthier and probably going to be a winner on the financial side that then can equate it into market shares and market gains, different problem. But business model fitness is the key thing, right? How quickly can you move in adjacent or, or, or before or lateral markets? I spoke, to, uh, I spoke to 25 CMOs yesterday and almost universally, they're all suspending print advertising. And, and some of them even started that three weeks ago. Like we're not gonna, we're not gonna you know, and, and, and that, that for, for some, that was a major part of their budget, believe it or not. And I also think about like, I can, for the last two weeks, I can get uh, movies that are in theater or supposedly in theater now streaming to my television. And I ask myself, when are we gonna see people going back to the movie theater when they made a conscious decision to deliver in theater movies now to your home, of course they had zero revenue. So, you know, they had no choice. I, I'm paying $20 for high definition streaming of in theater movies. And the fact that for the next six months, they're not producing content. You don't have film sets uh, for the foreseeable future. So as you're advising to CHROs in different industries, some of them question, there's a real question of whether they survived this. Especially if we're talking about this in July, August, September. So what are your thoughts in terms of the elasticity of your playbook post-pandemic as it varies by industry? 
Oh, no, it's going to be huge, right? It all depends. The scenarios will depend if we restart end of April, if we restart May, June, or even later, right? So because who has the pockets and then the the timeframes to react get a little longer and more forgiving. But the important thing from a human talent perspective is, right, you have to have something where you know if I have to do this lateral business model moves, that where are the people who can help me with this, right? What I advocate in a long time, the talent depth chart that I know who's the best person in my company on that job, who's right. the best person outside of my company on the job who's the best contractor on that job right that's something which people could be built since three four years thanks to my friend which has always to be in the show right who is this yeah. <laughs> Mr. Hadoof. Right? i was worried this morning i couldn't Hadoop find him right? it's one of the named Hadoop elephants right infinite computing unlimited questions and answers right so the the big data capability of having that right the cheap compute from the cloud all the infinite computing realm totally allows you to have the talent depth chart and that's what you need because when you need to move fast you need a SWAT team you need an evaluation for an acquisition you're getting acquired you need to figure out if you can do this market you have to send people who are healthy to a different place it's super super relevant that you know who's can be doing this and companies right now are completely in the dark completely rely on the manager um, uh, architecture, like call your people who could do this. And that's not fast enough. That's not fast enough anymore. Right? Uh, another breaking news, uh, when Ray and I were writing TensorFlow, TensorFlow Logic, uh, looking for guest recommendations, we actually, one of our key criteria was, you know, puppets. And <laughs> so now I know why you always rise to the top of our ML algorithm for guest recommendations. Now go ahead. <laughs> Where you have to put me in full zoom, right? I want to tell you the story here, right? So I'm relatively cheap, right? So I bought this thermometer gun, right? So disappointingly, it's really interesting. I can figure out any temperature, but not a human temperature. So I had to buy this one, right? This one is 15 bucks. This one, look, it's it's the same thing, right? Yeah. But this one went through FDA approval, and this is 95 bucks. Oh wow! Right, so so something has to change, and I hope that well, from a regulatory perspective, approval, <laughs> so, yeah. so, so, so something hopefully happens from a regulatory perspective, which we also see with some drugs going out faster. That lots of the slowdown that economies provide from statutory and regulatory perspectives, which are all meant well at some point, right? But they all get layered on top, on top, on top of each other, and they make business go slower. And you can't afford to go slow in the situation. So this is a good example of my laser guns here. Um, um, from 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 the, the same equipment, the same thing as OEM. There, I don't want to take them apart because I still need to use them because I probably cannot get them together again. But <laughs> when this is over, I definitely take them apart. It's probably the same manufacturer, right? And seventy dollars markup for something essential, <laughs> right? So so hopefully the regulatory side gets better. So Holger, I'm a CHRO of a large enterprise, what? and I ask you to help me understand shifts in my budget uh, during and post pandemic. Where do you begin to guide your clients? Is it the, and, and how much of a factor is the size of the company? Are they digital natives or digital immigrant companies? Which industries they serve? Geographies? How do you adjust your advice based on shifts in the budget uh, when you're dealing with clients? And let's say I'll narrow it down for you: big clients, you know, companies that have over ten thousand employees. Let's say you're on mute. There you go, Holger. Muter with Aubrey, which thinks that is an echo. So is he personally unmuted? No, no, I'm muting you on the echo. We, we're getting yeah, it. Okay, okay, that's totally fine. So we just had a had a collision here. No, but great question. And the the point is the problem of humans working for you as an employee is that they're a kind of fixed cost factor. 
right? So you have to have enough money to meet their paychecks, right? So the, the first guiding thing is like, how much cash do you have to ramp this up? Because humans are also not right away productive. They have to learn something. It can be also your internal people who, who, who have to learn a new job because you're changing things. So on the one side, you have to say, what can you spend on people? On the other side, you have to say, what's going to be your business? And you have to figure out what talents do you have? A huge opportunity right now is also send your people to the learning courses they never took. They never took serious, right? right. Going back to your career aspirations, what do you want to do? And spend a day, a week, right? When could you do this in regular business on getting your certifications up, right? Your career ambitions going. And then if you think strategic from enterprise, you know you want to go in a certain area, then then train your people in that direction because you might be going there, right? Terrific advice. The most important skill is to stay teachable and there's no better time now than to give employees permission to upskill. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. We're doing that at my company. 50,000 folks uh, every week, Mark, our founder, reminds us of the importance of trailhead and importance of learning. And there's massive growth internally in terms of certification and adoption. So right. terrific. And the great thing is if you get the learning mindset, it's going to be easier, let's say, Salesforce pivots into hardware. Right. Let's right. just make it up. Right. So so at some point you can say, look, you've been training relatively sales or engineering courses. Now look more at the electrical engineering stuff and how do you right. build things and look at Khan Academy. Right. Once you have that mentality there, it makes you so much easier to pivot if you want to pivot, if you have to pivot as as with your workforce, with your internal workforce. Get your internal talent mobility marketplaces up. Right. So, so know what jobs yeah. are internally available, which companies have been traditionally always really, really bad. Right. Understand global Quick mobility. Question. Global mobility, right? Uh, uh, corona might be fully rampaging here in North America and it's over in China and you might have talented employees there who can help you uh, running the operations remotely or directly by coming here, right? So so understanding who is where, who is healthy, who can do what is more important in the global world than ever before. Absolutely right. Hey, um, so quick uh, quick comments. We got Michael Dell in a meeting. He wanted to join us. Just texted us back. Uh, James Norwood. Uh, I'm hearing entire contact centers asking agents to now work from home. Any thoughts on this, Holger? To not work from home, to work from home. To work from home. That's been best practice for a long time, right? If you had good enough internet, allowing the great agent who started to have a family, want to stay home, have work flexible to work from home, right? There was always this negative stigma about working from home. But as long as the bandwidth is where, I mean, call center agent, if he or she is good, please have them work from anywhere, right? So that should be happening, right? Yeah, and one of our clients, United Airlines, basically did the same thing. Um, you know, they, they basically are mostly working from home, except for Chicago and Houston, moving everything on there. We see a lot of movement there, right? And a lot of clients using different services and technologies like RingCentral, other things to actually deliver on that. So last question, Bob, all yours. Uh, you know, you see companies like Zoom go from, you know, 10 million monthly or daily to 200 million. Uh, so clearly there's certain technologies uh, space like e-commerce, video streaming. Can you give us a sense of adoption of cloud and perhaps other technologies that we'll see 2020 as the rocket fuel year for you know large adoption? Well, so so everything which empowers people to do their job, right? This is always a true north, no matter if they work in offices or from home or on the road, right? Anybody who's listening really clearly to that is going to do really, really well, in my view, right? The virtual desktop, right? The stateful desktop where you don't have to start your laptop and so on yeah. is a huge productivity element. It's hugely important in IT to monitor jobs in healthcare for a doctor to see what's happening with their critical patients when they wake up in the middle of the night, hopefully from home, but to see that, right? So maybe that statefulness is going to be one of the things which, which finally breaks through, which hasn't happened before for many other reasons. That's a great so example. example. But question for you, what's going to be the most safe team sport 
coming back? The first team sport that's going to come back? Popular in North America from a safety perspective. I would, I would say baseball because there's natural distancing in play. Uh, the closest is the catcher and the batter, but everyone else is 90 feet apart uh, and then some. Um, so I would so say good, baseball. Good, good point, and people are wearing gloves, but my tip is this. <laughs> What is it? Hockey? Yeah, because people oh. wear, wear gloves and touch it with a pole. Oh, no, who knows? Who knows? I, I'm rooting for soccer, right? I'm not wearing my soccer shirt, but at least red and black, right? Can't show right. the shoes here. Forza Milan. So let's see who becomes champion in Europe. Thanks for having Football. me, guys. All right. Yeah, great for having you. And the reason why you keep coming back is your intellect above everything else. We're here with Holger Mueller, Vice President and Principal Analyst at Constellation Research. Fine, Holger, covering the next generation applications and future of work. So, hey, thanks a lot for being on the show, Holger. We're going to move on to what we're talking next. So, what, what's going on? What's on our next episode? This has been crazy. What a Friday. Ray, uh, our next episode is episode 185, and our producer will confirm, but I believe we will cross the 400 unique guests that we've had on Disrupt TV over the last four years. So we're averaging, my friend, 100 new guests per year. And we obviously want repeat guests. Our goal isn't just to have unique guests because folks like Holger and some of the other favorites we have are just super bright and need to have the stage as often as possible. So next week we have Carrie Palin, CMO at Splunk. Uh, we always bring smart chief marketing officers to the show. We continue to have the probably the most popular platform for CEOs to attend. We have Jay Bajayan, um, founder and CEO of uh, Tekion. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Tekion, and Tekion. He was what? Well, he's the former CEO of uh, what we were talking about here? Tesla. Yeah, so, yeah, the, the right. Dang right, CIO right, right. put Tesla right, exactly. on the map. Built exactly. ERP from scratch. Everything on that car was originally built by his team. So Amazing, amazing. And of course, uh, first ballot Hall of Fame, inductee to Disrupt uh, TV, Heather Clancy, who's the editorial director, best-selling author, uh, and, and, and editorial director for Green Biz Group. And this is where we talk about technology, business, leadership, with the purpose of sustainability. And she's a world-renowned sustainability expert, and we always love learning from Heather. So if it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV. Closing remarks, Ray. And by the way, thank you for being with us the first time we're using a new platform. Uh, we are simulcasting. We will be simulcasting on LinkedIn and Periscope via Twitter and, and, and YouTube. Uh, and please, our, our sound, uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, you know, we're still broadcast on uh, more than a couple of dozen radio stations across the country. <laughs> So, uh, you know, if you want to find us, you can find us. I guess that's what I'm trying yeah, to say. Yeah, every Friday, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. Thanks to all our listeners, viewers, and, of course, people around the world. Uh, we're really excited about the simulcast possibilities. Thanks to the StreamYard folks. Um, and thanks to Paul Greenberg and Brent Leary, who have been using this platform for us. We're testing it out as we continue to disrupt ourselves. Very thankful to the Zoom team. We've been on Zoom for a while, but we need a way to broadcast massively to our audiences. Uh, it's been on Periscope today. I think we've got a lot of viewers today um, as we entered the, uh, putting things back onto our social channels. Uh, I think the most important thing, folks, stay safe, keep the faith. Uh, there's a lot of stuff 
that's going to disrupt you. There's a lot of crazy reports in the media. Do your own fact checking. Think for yourselves. Uh, we're going to definitely get through this. Uh, it's going to be a little bit different. Not everything's going to change eight weeks from now, depending where you are. It's eight weeks from the first thousand cases. Remember that eight weeks from the first thousand cases. Every week we go by on shutdown is a month that it takes for recovery. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. So stay safe, everyone. Protect your at-risk loved ones. Uh, find people you haven't talked to in a while. Keep in touch. And uh, thanks for being on the show with us. Thank you, everyone. See you next Friday. Bye-bye.